Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Oh, yes. We got our technical difficulties worked out. Did we? Back here in Atlanta, Seiku Smith from NBA.com. My main man, Lang Whitaker. Yo. Certainly not in New York since I've checked your Instagram and no. uh, seen that you are wilding by the pool with America's favorite four-year-old down in Miami. Hope you guys are enjoying it down there. I know Beck is probably getting his tan on. I'm sure you got him wearing wife beaters and tank tops every day. I'm getting uh, my burn on. I, the, <laughs> it's been great, except for last night when we got a flat tire right across from the arena downtown, and uh, I had to change the change the tire by myself. What are you doing driving around there? You should be Ubering everywhere or whatever, right? Yeah, Car service no. or something, right? No, I mean, my wife grew up here, basically, so we know a lot of people and family mm-hmm. and places to go, so we just always get a car. But And then when we got a, we had her godmother in the car, and we were going to dinner, and then <laughs> we had a flat. I, what happened? The tire just I don't popped know. or what? I don't know. And all of a sudden, I thought I was just driving over something like it felt like, you know, like when there's grooves in the road to like mm-hmm. warn you of something. It felt like that. And then I was like, oh, well, the road must be, you know, paved weird or something. And then it just kept getting worse. For a dude and, who's uh, been taking taxis and, uh, you know, Uber and the subway for the last 15 years, I'm impressed you still know how to change a, a flat. I was thinking as I was doing it, I was thinking like, when was the last time I changed a tire? And I, the last time I could remember was like – I know when I was in high school, I had to change my car tire once. And then when I was like after college, I did it once, but it's been a long time. It's impressive. But the thing I was thinking was like, this must, this is, we need to talk to Rick Fox about this. This is like a growth opportunity because I mean, all the parts used to change a tire and all that stuff, it it hasn't changed in 20 something years. There must be like a better way to do it. (laughs) Yeah. It's called, it's called uh, roadside service. That's somebody (laughs) else. Watch as the AAA does it. We called the roadside service. They were like, we'll be there in an hour. And I was like, I can do it in 10 minutes. Just let me do it. So I just did it and uh, got the spare on there. We showed up at dinner with my hands <laughs> covered in soot and black. Smarm. And, yeah. But, well, at uh, least you had a good dinner. I mean, where, where'd you eat? I mean, where'd you, seeing as how Miami is uh, it's not just your one of your favorite cities, it's also one of mine. Where, where'd you guys a, go? It was a new place. It was um, this new place near Brickell. But mm-hmm. this morning for breakfast, I, I went to one of my, my favorite spots, the place I've taken you to, the mm-hmm. Latin Cafe 2000. Yes, yes. I went there this morning. That's Man, I'm long. I listen, I, I need the heat to get back to the playoffs so I can have an excuse, Tell a legitimate excuse to go to Miami. Instead um, of having Deion Waiters home writing damn articles. Yeah, <laughs> us. As he put it. Shout out to Deion Waiters. On the Players' Tribune. John and I were talking about how this is kind of that weird part of the playoffs when you're waiting for all the first-round series to get done. So there's games on every night. And I know it's hard for some people to keep up with the action and who's playing when and what the series is. Yeah. But it's pretty cool that the two Grizzly Bears in this whole thing are kind of off-resting and eyeballing each other from, you know, 3,000 miles away. You know yeah. You know the Warriors are, are getting healthy, getting rest, trying to figure out what's going to happen with Steve Kerr and, you know, and, and trying to get themselves together for whatever comes next. And then Cleveland's doing the same thing on their side of, you know, the conference divide, trying to, you know, 
take stock of where they are right now after smoking Indiana somewhat in the first round and getting ready for this next round. But today we're going to focus on the Cavs. We got uh, one of the co-authors of fantastic book, The Return of the King, LeBron James, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and one of the greatest comebacks in NBA history. Dave McMenamin of ESPN will be joining us here shortly to talk about the book and the Cavaliers and a little bit of everything else. He and Brian Windhorst combined on the book, which I, like I said, is fantastic. I'm going to break it down for, for Dave and how they ruined spring break for my family with this book because of when it came. And, you know, like, you know, I got these issues with, like, reading a book in 24 and 48 hours. I don't know what that is. It's my ADD or whatever that I always feel like I got to read it all at one time. <laughs> so all of our plans, you know, we always take something to read on spring break, and I ruined it because the two books I was going to take, I ended up reading them both before we left. So my wife had her book. And I'm bugging her every five minutes about like, hey, let's go do this. She's like, don't you have a book to read, you know, when, for the times when we just relax? And I was like, kind of read my books, baby. But, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm blaming it on, on uh, McMenamin and Windhorse to Marcus Thompson for sending those books early. But this notion, and I think our man Henry Abbott from ESPN is the one who did the story. At the end of the Cavaliers' first round sweep of the Pacers, they, they put out a story about, is this the beginning of the end for LeBron? And I don't know if you saw it or not, but it's kind of like examining where he is right now physically and everything in his career and whether or not he's at that stage now where we're looking at the twilight portion of his career, which I know on paper that sounds right. But yeah. just watching him, you 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 saw him in the first round. He doesn't look like he's any, any worse for the wear to me. I wanted to talk to Dave about this, but I, I was there for the game three and four in Indianapolis. And there was, a you know, game four, they clearly wanted to close it out have a week off and uh, LeBron played, I think 45 minutes in that game, 44 minutes. Yeah. I mean, he played almost the entire game. And with about three minutes to go, the Pacers took the lead for the first time in the whole game. And that, that was the first time all day that arena kind of got rocking mm-hmm. and it felt like the momentum was on their side and they threw the ball into LeBron and he was the calmest he'd been all day. Right. <laughs> as soon as he caught it, I was like, well, there's no way they're going to let, he's going to let them lose this game. <laughs> And I mean, c- contrast that to that game three when they were down 26, right. 25 at the half. And you think, oh, well, I- I've been traveling all day long. I've been in D.C. the night before for Hawks Wizards game two. Woke up at 5 a.m., flew to mm. Indianapolis, did the podcast with you, went to the game. I was so tired. And I was like, at halftime, I'm thinking, great. I, got- I know what I'm going to write. This is going to be a quick post game. I can finally come back and go to sleep. And then the second half, LeBron and the Cavs put in that weird death lineup they have where it's LeBron and like Kyle Korver, Channing Fry. You mean <laughs> um, the lineup they're going to use against the Warriors in the finals? They better not. Shumpert. <laughs> it was it was basically all the guys except Love and Irving. Right. And they made up the deficit and won the game. And I, I told my wife, I was like, I was so tired, but I wasn't even mad because it was pretty incredible to watch. <laughs> like, That's I, their best group right now. Uh, I Believe mean, it or not. I mean, I guess maybe defensively you have LeBron and Shumpert out there, like two good defenders. Well, and it's LeBron probing the defense and whipping passes around the floor to whoever's open that can knock down threes. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, every position the way he, he wants to play. It was like they played in the finals last year. I mean, he would come across half court, see what the defense was doing, and then basically point at somebody and say, come up here and set a pick <laughs> to get that mismatch yeah. created. I'm, I'm with um, it. I'm with it. I mean, I don't know if it'll work defensively against the Warriors. That's the only thing. I mean, with – now they have Durant also. Like you can't hide a, a Corver or you can't hide a Fry. On well, I want to see. I want to see if it works. I want to see if it works. Yeah, I Let's mean, it, it, I want them to try it. and We'll see if it works. I think. The, I mean, the good thing for the Cavs is it limits possessions, though, and and that's in some ways. You know, when Ty Lue got hired, he was like, "We're going to play faster. We need to get going faster," and it's right. sort of the opposite of that, but it works. So 
No, you got to do what works for LeBron first and the other, foremost. The other cool thing, and you've probably been there. I, I've never been there. They they practiced last weekend at uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse at Butler. Yes, I used to live down the street from there when I yeah. lived in Indianapolis. Really so cool I got building. A, got a chance to go hang out there for the afternoon. That was pretty neat. Yeah, it's sweet. It's sweet. It, we'll t- we'll talk about Indiana later this summer. We'll get yeah. somebody on to, to kind of give us the skinny on what they're going to get doing get done in free agency. And what's going <laughs> speaking to happen with Paul of a, speaking of the skinny in Indianapolis. Um, <laughs> I talked to David Benner, our favorite PR guy. And, uh, if that photo does end up, there's a photo of you hanging in the media yes. room. And if uh, if they do end up remodeling that media room, that photo will not be thrown away. Don't worry. <laughs> He'll find another trash can to hang it no, up no, over. No, no, no. no. We, we, we've made contingency plans for it. So. <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, You're going to see it again. Oh, no. That's just fantastic. I meant, Like I mentioned earlier, um, we're going to get a chance to talk to Dave McMenamin, and I don't I don't see any reason to waste any more time. New York Times bestselling author slash contributor slash friend of the program, Dave McMinnibin. We've had him on before, but uh, we've never had him on in this light where he's, you know, throwing around all that big money he made from this fantastic book, The Return of the King. LeBron James, Cleveland Cavaliers, and one of the greatest comebacks in NBA history. He and Brian Windhorse. Dave, what's up, sir? And, um... Anytime you want to take your boys out to lunch when we're in Cleveland, we'd appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I, I ran into Lang in uh, Indianapolis at the end of dinner. We both had finished dinner, so yeah, yeah. maybe a meal will be in order. But you got it. <laughs> I'll take it. Hey, look, first and foremost, the book is outstanding. I was telling Lang every year on spring break, the family, we, we wherever we go, we take books with us. So I got the advanced copy of Return of the King and um, Marcus Thompson's book. And I got them like mm, three days before we were leaving. So, it, stupid me, I started reading Return of the King. And I was like, all right, I'll just read a couple chapters and put it down and then save it for spring break. Of course, I finished it in 48 hours. I was done with it. Finished Marcus's book. And I, I'm on spring break bugging my wife. And she's like, I thought you brought books. Why are you bugging me every five minutes? I was like, I read my books. They were, they were, they were too good to put down. This, this thing was awesome in terms of just all of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff that we never get to hear about with teams, you know, when they're in the midst of something like this, how did you guys negotiate with the Cavaliers and with all the people involved to get this kind of access so soon? Well, we wrote it from mid-July through, I guess, late November. Uh, So it was a really quick turnaround, and we were really riding the euphoria of that incredible comeback. Mm -hmm. And so when we were reaching out to our principal sources, you know, people, agents, coaches, players, Everyone was still on that high. And so there wasn't as much, I guess, hand-wringing as I think in a lot of scenarios there would be mm-hmm. uh, because naturally players are skeptical of, especially something like a book, right, because so many guys have been burned in the past right. from right. a project like this. But O'Brien Vine, and it made a lot of sense, he's like, listen, guys, this is a good story. I'll tell you what happens on the last page. You win. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was always, that was the negotiation because, if that is the context of what the book's, you know, purpose was, that everything that is in that book that maybe you look at side, sideways, you know, when the team's going through a losing streak, or it just adds to the epic epic finale. Right. And rather than get, you know, picked apart uh, as its kind of own poor incident, it, it allows you to recognize the actual ebb and flow up and down that a team has to go through in order to reach its goal. Dave, I want to ask you a little journalism nerdy question is you know we know your work we're all familiar with brian windhorse work how did you guys work together on this what was the process of, of 
collaborating with, with Brian on this book? Well, we did a couple larger long-form pieces uh, last season. One when Blatt was fired and another at right. Game 7. And, um, you know, it was a lot of verbal communication in terms of, okay, this is what we want to communicate here. I mean, we, we definitely had an outline here in terms of what the chapters were going to be and kind right. of delineated there. Um, but I had another uh, radio host asking this, like, of course, Brian and I have our own distinctive styles, but neither of us are like, you know, so out there in terms of like, you know, <laughs> no writing a first person or, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you're not reading like, you know, uh, Rick Rileyisms or anything like that yeah. in our prose usually. So we were able to negotiate it that way. Um, and, um, you know, I, I think the, the, the book reads pretty solid. Um, and, but of course, like, this is Brian's third book. Uh, so uh, I kind of deferred to him uh, at every corner, and I'm glad I did because uh, he was a, a great leader on this project. Hmm. The, whenever I'm reading books like this, Dave, I'm always trying to – I'm guess as a – as a book nerd, first and foremost, and then as somebody who's been at a lot of these events, I mean, lying in, you know, we've all been at these games or seeing these same people, talking to them ourselves, whatever. The entire time I'm reading the book, and this is probably a, a super nerdy thing to do, I'm, I'm guessing who the <laughs> who gave which side of the story you guys were telling. I kept thinking to myself, hmm, I wonder if that's, you know, David Griffin's version or if that's Ty Lue's version. <laughs> or, you know, <laughs> right. and, and the coolest part was you can't tell. Like, it's it's blended so well. And I don't know if that – was that a product of the fact that you guys really worked hard to massage that and make sure that it wasn't telling for any one person to, to feel like maybe somebody goes, man, this is this guy telling this story as opposed to the, the combination of all these people telling it? Yeah. I mean, obviously that was something we were aware of. Also, I mean, we tried to have as many fresh, independent interviews outside of our day-to-day work. I mean, we mm-hmm. had such a wealth of material from, I was there with the team every single day from, you know, the, the summer of 2014 through the championship. And Brian was there, no joke, about close to half the time. He was there for the entire playoff run. Um, and in the 2014-15 season, he was there, you know, again, a lot of the regular season as well. So we had that going for us already. But, yeah, we wanted to make sure that if there was one one voice there um, that well, we hadn't gotten corroborated from another voice, that we had to make sure we were telling what we believed to be the truth. Right. Um, and also we were cognizant, like, this is this is a Cavs book. I mean, LeBron is such a incredible character on the Cavs, yeah, and the most important player on that team, that franchise, and probably in the league. But it wasn't a LeBron book. I mean, mm-hmm. you can't say you can't write a Cavs book without a LeBron book, of course. Right. But you can write plenty of LeBron books without, without focusing on the Cavs. And we wanted to make sure that it was the stories that were told were in the context of what it meant to the team. Yeah. Well, one of the more meaningful things to the team was the email that David Griffin sent during the finals. Um, I mean, we all know Griff. He loves to, he'll, he'll talk to you off the record. He doesn't really like to talk on the record. How did you get the actual email he sent to everybody? <laughs> well, Griff wouldn't give it to us. And <laughs> we've got wind of it. And, it, and Griff like, did give us some, some time for this book, and we're yeah. grateful for that. But he wasn't going to be the guy to give it up. So I won't. Tell you, you don't who have to say I it, yeah. procured it from. I won't <laughs> tell you I procured it from, but 
But that was like, that was a really good night because it was like, man, we can just publish this in, in totality. This is, as Brian likes to say, it, it's like a historical document. Uh, you can, <laughs> it, it, and the nice part is like, it has a timestamp of an email, right? right? So you know exactly what well. the, you know, the, the head decision maker for that franchise was thinking as they were about to try to, you know, do something that's never been done in NBA history before. And then you also know that, like, this was something that was contemplated by every player on the team because David Griffin printed out that email and handed it to the players before they boarded the flight to Oakland after that disappointing Game 4 to go to Game 5 and try to, you know, achieve the impossible. And, uh, yeah, like, it, it, that, was, that, was, that was one we felt really good about because we're like, this is demonstrating that you are getting, like, we could literally say, you want to go behind the scenes? Like, We'll give you what was literally behind the scenes. This is what the entire team saw that no one else in the public saw. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Dave McMenamin of ESPN is joining us. The great book, Return of the King. LeBron James and Cleveland Cavaliers and one of the greatest comebacks in NBA history. New York Times bestseller. Dave McMenamin and Brian Windhorst combined on the book. Um, before we get into the Cavs' current situation, and they've moved on, obviously, already in the in the first round of the playoffs this year, the one – the one thing I walked away from after reading the book, and you know, you you go back and reread passages and try and figure stuff out. I'm I'm curious what you've gathered, and and, and maybe what Brian has gathered from the inner workings of that organization. I couldn't I could not figure out is Dan Gilbert day to day involved, you know, with the organization to the point where he's maybe calling shots. Do they leave it to Dave Griffin? Because I know LeBron gets blamed a lot for being the the de facto GM slash owner, but this book made me realize it's not, you know, there's a power structure there above and beyond what LeBron wields. And I, I couldn't decide if it's, is it more Griffin day to day or is it Dan Grip, Dan Gilbert and his staff or his guys in, in conjunction with Griffin on a daily basis, running things up there. Right. So, I mean, Dan Gilbert is a principal owner, but uh, he had, well, I say had because, throughout the course of this season, there was kind of a falling out with Jeff Cohen, who was one of his other partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really a triumvirate, Jeff Cohen, Dan Gilbert, and Nate Forbes. Right. Um, and I think just through maybe responsibilities and, and free time um, and just a relationship that was built, uh, David Griffin had a lot of, I, I would say, day-to-day probably more communication with Nate Forbes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Dan lives in Detroit, Dan comes out for a lot of games. It's not like you know, David and, and Dan are not communicating. I'm not trying to suggest that sure, at all. But sure. um, I, I don't like so the idea of structure is, is almost laughable because I think this team <laughs> doesn't necessarily have a roadmap it always follows. Right. And you see that with you know when it comes to David Griffin being involved in free agency, uh, but there are independent co- uh, conversations between Dan Gilbert and and potential free agents for the Cavs, right. you know, and Dan Gilbert and the agents for those sure. free agents. So sure. it's, um, I, I do think the idea that LeBron is the one pulling all the strings is, is overblown. I mean, mm-hmm. he is a, a vital part of the, this team. It doesn't work without him. Uh, but, you know, you look at this year and some of the moves David Griffin pulled, um, you know, Relying on a relationship he had with Neil O'Shea in Portland to be able to swap uh, a first-round pick for another first-round pick they had already traded to Portland um, in the Vajdao deal so he could facilitate the Hawks deal to get 
Kyle Korver. Yeah. Like LeBron James isn't doing. LeBron James is like, you know what you guys can do with the, you know, that, that small trade exception. <laughs> yeah. He's not doing that, and right. he doesn't have the relationships with the GMs around the league to do that. And quite frankly, and LeBron went on record telling me this this year, uh, late in the regular season, when we I did a story about David Griffin being a free agent right now. Mm-hmm. A lot of teams do not want to help LeBron James out. I mean, he has been the roadblock in the Eastern Conference now for more than half a decade. Right. The last thing they want to do is help out LeBron. But David Griffin's been around the league for 25 years, and he has some relationships that, you know, that uh, supersede anybody's distaste for LeBron James. Yeah, that, that's so why I asked. That's yeah. why I asked, because it, it, it to me it shined a much different light on David Griffin than we get the cursory light we get covering the league from 30,000 feet and not being there every day and not understanding how much is involved in trying to put together not just a roster, but a championship roster that has to be up to a certain standard, you know, when you're dealing with a guy like LeBron who's not afraid to voice his con- opinions about what they do or do not have. Right. And, and, yeah, and every move carries so much weight. I mean, you look at the, yeah. the first year in Cleveland. They, you know, Sean Marion and Mike Miller didn't work out. Um, you know, last year they won the championship, Richard Jefferson playing the same role those guys were playing, and he was huge. He was yeah. tremendous. Um, and, you know, there's just a lot more pressure for you to make sure that you, those things do work out. But Darren, you know, if Darren Williams didn't show the flash that he did in the first round, uh, no. the Cavs, you know, the Cavs series against Spacers, I think we'd be looking at this team a lot different moving forward in the playoffs. Yeah. Well, Dave, you, you mentioned that Pacers series that you, you mentioned. I saw you, we saw each other in Indianapolis. Uh, we were there for that historic comeback in game three, the, then the sort of last minute win in game four. Um, LeBron's won, I think, 21 straight first-round games. Yeah. 12-0 all-time in the first round. Just a little demolition of the competition. Series. Uh, what, in the, after that game four, somebody, I don't remember who, asked him in the press conference, or they asked Teron Lue, why is he so good in the first round? And Teron Lue said, great coaching. But, <laughs> <laughs> but then LeBron was kind of like, well, I don't really focus on it. It's, you know, it's just something that happens. Do, do you think it's something that he focuses on? I mean, is he – aware of trying to, to sweep these first rounds and get the rest in? I think um, he legitimately looks forward to the playoffs from the time the All-Star break ends. Yeah. And he – so this is the first kind of – turning on the faucet of playoff LeBron. And so you, you see a refreshed mentally guy who's already, you know, such an incredible physical specimen – um, approaching the game with like his all that he literally cannot give to the game throughout the regular season because it's too long. So I think that's a big part of it. I also think he's been on some really successful teams, so he's played inferior opponents. I mean, now it's not as inferior as a team that doesn't make the playoffs in the regular season, but to play an inferior opponent over a close to a four-game series, like you know, you'll be able to pick them apart um, and put up some big numbers. Um, I, I think kind of those are those are maybe the two biggest factors I'd say that come into play uh, with this dominance. Um, and I mean, some of it's, it's it's sheer will. I mean, I, I thought it was so interesting that the same night LeBron James leads the Cavs back from 26 down in the third quarter with Kyrie and Kevin on the bench. Greg Popovich benches all his starters against Memphis mm-hmm. when they're down in, in the 20s in the third quarter, and it's like I mean, and this is not too you know, suggest that Kyle Leonard is not a wonderful player because he is. But you have LeBron on your team. You believe these things are possible. Like that, the will that he brings to the court, the belief he 
breeds uh, not only his teammates but his coaching staff, uh, you, you have a chance. Kawhi Leonard doesn't do that. You know, of course, you believe that you have a chance to win any game when you start the game, but you're down 26 in the third quarter. You're not thinking you can win. Yeah. Uh, but LeBron brings that. I think you add those things together, and, and you know, of course, I think we'd have to do the numbers, but his, I'm sure his second-round performances are incredible. <laughs> his, his, third, his conference finals performances are incredible. I mean, the only one where he's he's kind of you know has some work to do is the final. Yeah, he's he's upside down in the finals, and everywhere else he's he's winning. Yeah, you, Dave, you've had a an interesting journey in that you got a chance to cover the one guy who I think LeBron is most referenced to outside of Michael Jordan in Kobe Bryant, and observe you know, and we talk about the word being conscious, and I, I've always felt like, and you you correct me if I'm wrong, I've always felt like Kobe was super conscious of where he fit in, in the bigger picture in basketball, historically, amongst his peers and his in his era. And the one thing, I'm not big for comparisons on guys, like, well, these guys both have this or that. The one thing that's always struck me about Kobe from afar and certainly LeBron from afar is that they may be the two guys since Jordan in, in terms of their eras that were most conscious of their legacies and, and where they would fit ultimately in the bigger picture in basketball. And and I'm not talking about who's on somebody's Mount Rushmore or anything like that, but I'm just talking about every night they're out there performing with a clear understanding of every step that I take on a basketball court is a piece to this bigger legacy. And now having covered them both and been around them both on a regular basis, did you did you get that same feeling that they were maybe more conscious than other guys? And I'm not saying Allen Iverson or somebody else didn't think about that, but to me, they didn't operate every moment the way, and I'm not saying it's contrived or calculated necessarily, but to a point it is, the way LeBron and the way Kobe carried themselves on and off the court and still do for, well, think, for LeBron. Yeah. Thank you. Well, there's a couple of things here. Well, one, I think both of them recognized that they had the, the skills, like where they could actually believe in their head, like that. I could be the greatest player of all time. Right. Uh, and so they accepted, you know, in a way it's a burden. Um, you know, it's a blessing and a burden, right? Because yeah. the skills are not what necessarily going to get you through. In order to do it, you got to put up a large body of work, which means you have to keep yourself physically on top of things for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. And the amount of, you know, mental and physical devotion to that is immense. But I think they both had that going for them. But like, you know, late in Kobe's career, and you really, I only got him late. I mean, I didn't right. start covering him until right. year 13 of his career, um, or year 12, I think, year 12 of his career. But, um, you know, after his Achilles injury, uh, you know, there was a time, you know, Kobe, both Kobe and LeBron have, have at some point followed me and unfollowed me on Twitter, but there was a time <laughs> when Kobe was following me. And, and we were, you know, we would use direct message to communicate. Yeah. And um, I was talking about his Achilles, and you know, I, I'd put something up, but actually, in my opinion, it still stands up as like a kind of a glowing column, but mm-hmm. basically saying, like, uh, you know, Kobe's finally proven he's human. You know, for so many years he avoided uh, injury, major injury, and, and, you know, listen, this happens. And he retweeted my column and said, thank you. <laughs> like, he was using for motivation. I was like, dude, like, did you read it? Like, <laughs> I, I, I complimented you. 
And then I was like, listen, look at the guys who, you know, haven't been able to come back. This Killy is the same player. And I, you know, I listened to, like, Chauncey Dillon's. But then, mm-hmm. uh, he got, like, indignant, like, all caps and exclamation points. Like, are you trying to say I'm the same player as Chauncey Dillon's and Isaiah Thomas? I'm like, no, but it's an injury to a basketball player. You don't have a different Achilles than these guys. You don't have a different will. And so I always think about that with, with Kobe in terms of, like, man, like, you couldn't even, like, if you're going to have a conversation with him, you have to make sure, like, oh, you're going to like, compare my Achilles to, like, Michael's Achilles. You know, like, he never said that. <laughs> but but yeah, that's what I yeah. think about. <laughs> right. And, and with, with LeBron, you know, he was, and rightfully so, he's been reluctant to be directly compared to a player. Yeah. Because he is not Magic, and he's not Michael, and he's not a combo of Magic and Michael, and he's not... Carl Malone with the with the handle, and he's you know he's not Kobe with a less of a clutch gene. Like he is himself, yeah. but he he knows what he like. He the way he thinks the game, and again, I've only been around you know covering the league last eleven years, so I'm sure there were brilliant players that I never got a chance to be up close to. But I have a hard time thinking that there's many players who have ever stepped on the court that I mean it it is like some Matrix style stuff where like you know like. <laughs> All these, all these, you know, TNT and, and ESPN and all, you know, all these sports uh, outlets. We spend all this money on the technology to like freeze a, a play and like move the court 180 degrees to be able to see where everybody is. And I think LeBron can do that in his head at any moment. And uh, in, and if you have that, you know, mental capacity for the game, you have the physical uh, gifts. And then I think where they they really are close to one another is they both really love it. Like yeah. they are, they're basketball geeks. They're right. nerds with it. Right. And they, I don't think they would, you could do it and sustain yourself in this sport with the grind of it for so long. at such high level unless you completely like Kobe was just on Jimmy Fallon recently and was like geeking out about talking about the squeaks of shoes. on the court. <laughs> like, and, and that's like, and Kobe can be corny and fake, but that, I really believe was authentic. Right. Um, and, and LeBron, um, you know, he, I mean, he went through his, his basketball camp. Like he gets to know the next generation of high school players. And mm-hmm. he is very fluent in that. Like, you know, he can talk to you about the, the next kids that are, uh, yes. you know, McDonald's all American. Yes. He knows like, who the top point guard is in the class of 2022 or something ridiculous. Yeah. 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 He does. <laughs> yeah. He does. Um, and it's so it's I think the, <laughs> right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but, so because both of them had, had those, those combinations of those things, um, and then I think they're also like media savvy too. Right. And right. they know that the media can, can set themselves up to, to be known as that, that, um, yeah, they were very similar in that regard. Yeah. So what you're saying? What you're saying is Kobe puts you in the muse cage. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was trying to say. If I only had like a puppet and some cardboard cutouts, the you know the Fantasia soundtrack. To, to no, the the great thing too is LeBron. In one of the answers during the, one of the post game pressers, he was going through some sequence of the game and he's explaining. It. And I don't know if no. one of you two chuckleheads might ask the question for all I know. We but he's, I but he's like, you like the way I, he's like, you like the way I remember every detail of every play, don't you? Oh, <laughs> Jason Lloyd asked that. Yeah, yeah. He's just yeah. like, I mean, I love that LeBron 
always loves to remind us how brilliant he is and how brilliant his <laughs> basketball mind is. I was like, hey, you, you've done all the work to back it up, so I'm not going to knock you for it. But I love that he likes to focus in those pressers all the time just to remind everybody, hey, oh, I am the smartest dude in the room right now, basketball. No no doubt about it. Part of the part of the Kobe mythology, and I'm not sure, maybe it was a piece by Jackie McMullen and all her stuff is great, so if it was, it, you know, uh, but at one point he said that you can show him a snapshot, like a photo of any game from any point in his career, right. and like, he can tell you what season it was. But, <laughs> like, like, you know, like, I don't know. Like it, it's pretty wild that both those guys. I mean, they they have the they are obsessed with it. Yes, um, yes. And uh, that's I think that's really in any you know any discipline or any career or vocation uh, that that is like the difference maker between being capable and being special. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a great way of putting it. It was Like I said, it was something that was on my mind. I, I said, I'm going to make sure I ask Dave about this because not many people have had a chance to be around those, you know, generational, all-time great players in that, in the way you have, one at the end of his career, the other during the midst of the zenith of his career. I mean, I'm, I'm, it would be the equivalent of somebody, I guess, covering Jordan's last few years and then covering Kobe. You know, during the, well, the Adonde, rise of his career, Adonde, Adonde did that. Yeah, a guy that I consider a mentor, but yeah, so Adonde, right. he got he got that that path. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just a totally unique perspective to have. You, it'll come in handy thirty years from now when you write another book, um, about, <laughs> another New York Times bestseller about Kobe. Uh, Kobe there and LeBron, go. man. But listen, we appreciate it, Dave. I know I know you're busy. You got to figure out a way to. You know, make a day off work during the playoffs because believe me, you're not going to get many between now and the end of June. So tell uh, tell Brian we said thanks for the the great work and uh, we appreciate you guys so much. Again, uh, the the book, The Return of the King, is just outstanding. Everybody needs to check it out. New York Times bestseller. Dave McMiniman of ESPN.com, join us and uh, tell Jack McMiniman we said salute and hello as well. Yeah, you got Oh, he's the baddest man. He's on. He's one of my Facebook friends. Like he posts the most hilariously oh, awesome stuff on Facebook, man. He's he's top notch. He's, he's, he's on one. That's great. <laughs> this is, that's the first. My dad has never been met to. My face is so beat red right now. I wish you guys could see me. Oh no, oh, man. That's my that's my guy. That's my guy. He Amazing. makes me want to go to okay. Ireland, man. He makes me want to take trips with y'all. I want to get in, I want to get in the fa- in the station wagon and roll with y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right, man. We appreciate it, Dave. Bye, All right, man. Enjoy. Thanks, Dave. Good stuff, Lang, from, from Dave McMiniman. Um, I was thinking as he was talking about getting the DMs from Kobe that somewhere in there, there maybe we can all collaborate one day on a great book, Angry DMs from NBA Players, because <laughs> we've all gotten our share. Everybody's gotten them. <laughs> i tell you what, one day, if we all make it another 30 years, I'm telling you, we should sit down and everybody should just empty notes from over the years. It would be the greatest read It'd be like our, we could do like our version of open court. Yes, we'll never get a chance to uh, to talk to some of these guys ever again if we let out some of the secrets, of course. But the good thing, I mean, I've always said, like, you know, when I retire, when I'm done, I'm going to write that book that tells every single story, and then I'll make enough money from it that I can <laughs> to move disappear. to, like, yeah, get my own island somewhere. Exactly. You know? Or you could just stay at the Ritz on South Beach forever. Just get a room and tell them, hey, I'm never leaving. I just want to stay here forever. Yeah. Um, the the Cavaliers we talked a lot about obviously LeBron James and the Cavs, they're they're waiting on their second round opponent. Um, 
And I, there was a time when I was convinced it was going to be Milwaukee. And and then it was two day, two games later, I'm like, oh, no, it's not going to be Milwaukee. It's going to be Toronto like we thought. I don't know who it's going to be. Um, yeah. They're obviously hooking up. The Raptors lead the series 3-2. Uh, game six is up tonight, 7 Eastern on TNT. I don't know, Lang. I don't feel <laughs> great, even with – the Raptors being in a position to handle their business, I don't feel great about it. I told you going into this, I felt really good about the Raptors. I thought they were going to do really well in this series, and they haven't. Um, so I, I don't really have a feel for this thing either. Um, I know they've had some, you know, trying to put Powell in the starting five, and they've had some success with that. Yeah. But I kind of wonder if tonight's when Milwaukee's make some adjustment the other way. And, you know, I don't, I don't know what happens to me. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I, I'm looking forward to either, either one of those teams I would love to see match up in the next round with Cleveland. That's the, the best part about it is that. Who do you think Cleveland wants to play in the next round? I couldn't really get a sense for it. I, I would think that Cleveland would much rather sharpen their skills against a team like the Raptors because they know what they're going to get yeah. from Toronto and they know exactly what the matchups are. Milwaukee, like we talked about before the playoffs, they're just such a wild card. You don't you know, know they, who's going to do what. You don't think they want to beat up on Delvadova in a series? <laughs> <laughs> no, because, I mean, I think you they know Delhi's history. I mean, how many dudes has he put out yeah. You know, over the years in the playoffs? They don't need him leg-whipping Kyrie or something. Yeah. And uh, ending Kyrie's postseason. So it uh, should be interesting. I, you know, the, on the other side, Boston has come back from down 0-2. Um, your Hawks rebounded from an 0-2 start in their series. Washington, Washington, Boston. I mean, are you are you ready to concede yet, as a Hawks fan, that this series might be over? Or are you like, no, we still got this? Well, I mean, I I predicted Wizards in six in the preview I did for NBA.com. Um, I, after those first two games, I thought it was going to be four. I mean, the, the the Wizards were so good in those first two games, right? But I've kind of forgot what made the Wizards the Wizards, and they're they're just not consistent and. Um, and neither is Atlanta. You know, when Atlanta's playing great, they're really good. And when they're not playing great, they're really bad. And yeah. they, they can't seem to find that consistency. And that being said, they'll probably come out and win game six now just because nobody thinks they're going to win it, you know. <laughs> um, so we'll see. Well, your, your boy Dwight Howard showed up for game four, which I thought was yeah. pretty spectacular. He and, and he even brought around his, his Spanish counterpart, um, Jose Calderon, who showed up out of mm-hmm. nowhere. Uh, How about Schroeder? After those first two games, everyone Schroeder's, was talking about John Wall. Schroeder's been really good. Like, he's a competitor. Yeah. He's a, I mean, he's, he doesn't back down. He's going to play with passion. He's going to drive you crazy sometimes. He's going to make you, you know, yeah. throw your soda 20 feet in the air if you're in the arena sometimes with some of the things he does. But I think I think what he does fuels them a lot of times. And I think the fans, being in the building for games three and four, the fans, they're – they ride with Schroeder in a way that they never did with Jeff Teague for yeah. whatever reason. I don't know if it's that they felt Teague was indifferent about being the leader of a team and didn't play with that same kind of passion. Um, but it's like, I don't know. They feel like maybe they think Schroeder's all their own. Like, hey, this is our guy that, you know, he, he reminds us of the volatility of Atlanta. Like, he's he embodies the spirit of the city. <laughs> And uh, and they love it. I mean, he's it was, definitely he's definitely crazy. way more he's way more swaggy than T ever was. Yes, yes, 
with yes. the hair and the the whole after game, vibe. After yeah, game two, he was wearing a gold studded baseball cap <laughs> that I'd never really seen before. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you ever did. You ever finish watching Atlanta on FX? Yes. The so there was one storyline where Paperboy and Earn go to a club one night, and there's a, a fake Atlanta. I think it's an Atlanta Hawks player who's yeah. at the club. And everyone's paying attention to him, and they're like, "Oh, he's got a, a invisible car." Right. They're like, "No, that does it's not possible." And at the end, you see him drive off in an invisible car. I was like, "If that if that was a real player, it had to be Schroeder." Like, Schroeder Schroeder would have an invisible car. If any other <laughs> well, he's got players. the gold one. He might as well have an invisible yeah. one. Yeah. Listen, and and by the way, um, as we get out of here uh, here on the Hang Time Podcast, the the fashion and swagginess <laughs> in the playoffs has been cranked to a new level. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start with what Russell Westbrook was wearing before the Rockets put the Thunder out of the playoffs. But uh, what about John Wall? But last John night? Wall's uh, dashiki, his new age oh, yeah. dashiki he had on with the cape was just yeah, the, it was like a camo cape. I oh think. man, I'm I listen. I'm too old to get away with something like that. But I swear to you, I, I'd, I'd wear that. I'd wear it one day <laughs> and see if somebody smacked me across the face walking around the streets of Atlanta. That thing was unbelievable. I've got it on right now. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic uh, effort though from John Wall. He's been he's been really good. I went to their practice the other day. There's not a dude in the league I like in terms of playing with a chip on his shoulder and ridiculous confidence all at the same time. I mean, he talk about a dude who believes in himself. He had a he had a sequence in Game Three when they were getting worked by the Hawks, where he came down and made some crazy layup. And he walked over in that corner where the Hawks bench, you know, where they yeah. go off the floor, and he screamed at everybody. In in words that can't be used on a family podcast, but he was basically saying, "Y'all don't want me to get cranked up in here." It was like, "Dude, you got twenty seven already. Like, how much more cranked up are you gonna get?" You know, and they got smoked, of course. But just the idea that his team would be down—I think they they were down big—and he was still in the game and he was still going at everybody like that—it tells you what kind of competitor John Wall is. But it's gonna be interesting. Game six, and hopefully I'll, I'll see that Friday night at Phillips Arena. Maybe you'll get a chance to see game seven. If it goes seven, I'll be in D.C. Right. Sunday for that. Yep. So uh, who knows? Maybe we'll get a little bit more of this fantastic basketball and, and uh, see what happens. Uh, John Schumann was in Washington for game five, so he skipped out of today. He's on the train, and uh, he's on his way back to uh, Jersey. He's probably still smarting from Isaiah Thomas, you know, <laughs> trolling him last night in the postgame presser about being the worst defensive player in the league. Um I feel like he was speaking directly to Shu and tweeted as, as much this morning. So we no no trivia this week here on the Hangtime Podcast. We apologize uh, for all the people that have been waiting on uh, the Schumann stat and his fantastic trivia this week. Shout out to uh, Dave McMiniman uh, from ESPN for coming on talking about the book, The Return of the King. Fantastic stuff. New York Times bestseller. Check it out. Subscribe to the Hangtime Podcast on iTunes. Be sure to leave a review. Lang should get some love from you for being a, a, a trooper. The guy calls in every week, no matter where he is. He could be on the moon. He could be at the Ritz <laughs> on South Beach, and he's going to be on the Hangtime Podcast. We appreciate it for that. New episode every Thursday, this postseason as well as the regular season. And and while you're in iTunes or, or on NBA.com, uh, podcast page be sure to subscribe to nba sound system it's a new show hosted by our main man brent barry and lawrence scott uh on the latest episode they talk fashion and uh the nba sound system it's fantastic stuff you got to check it out lots of good stuff on there every tuesday all playoffs and off season do they um, give us shout outs 
Why are we shouting them out? We got to shout them out because, you know, you shout us out, we shout you out, we shout us out. All right, you know. let's make sure they're giving us some love, too. <laughs> no question. Come on, Bones. And I look, I don't know where we'll be this time next week. We don't know. I don't either. Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll be back in some form or fashion right here next week on Hangtime Podcast. Later. Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast, and be sure to subscribe on iTunes for a new episode every single Thursday this season. And as always, people, remember, say kuna matata.